made it to the end of our Why series. Today is our last day of Why. We started on Easter with Why Easter. And as we tied into Why Easter, we, we tagged in Why Church? Why do we go to church? Why do we worship? Why do we disciple? Why do we connect? Why do we do all of these things that we do? And each one of them has been uh, informative for me. I'm not sure if it's been informative for you. I hope that it has. Maybe that's the reason why you're coming back, or maybe you just like the coffee. I don't know. But the, the, the whole thing is, is, as we've looked at it, each one of these whys along the way have, have had a very simple answer up front. It's because Jesus told us to. And, but there's a natural response that takes place as we get into these whys, and, and we see the different things that, that God has called us to do and why he's called us to do it. But even as I look at it, as we've gone through each one, today's is probably the most difficult to talk about. And the reason why it's the most difficult to talk about, because I think it's probably the most highly debated, highly discussed maybe, we won't use the word debate, but, but we look at this one and we say, wow, look at it the different ways that people baptize, and look at different reasons that, different, that people baptize. We can look at even all the questions. What is baptism? Even in the first place, why should I get baptized? Do I need to get baptized to get saved or to be saved? When is the best time to get baptized? Is the baptism of babies the same thing as baptism for adults? Um, how do I get baptized? How many times should I get baptized? These are all questions that I've been asked. These are all questions that are out there. Uh, how should I get baptized? Should I be sprinkled or should I be dunked or should I be poured over? All these things are questions that as we go into why baptism that I'm hoping to be able to answer and give you a little bit about what we're doing. And, and as we dive into it today, and pun intended on that, by the way, um, I, I, hope, I hope at the end of it that you walk away with the answers that, that you need. And answer so you can understand what baptism is, to have a clarity about it. And and if you haven't ever taken that next step, that tonight we have a baptism in pool party. And uh, it's going to be out at Rainbow Pool, which is down southern past Dunster, about, I don't know, about a mile, mile and a half or so at the top of the hill. And it's going to be a great time of celebration. If you've never been baptized, I pray that this is something that, that you would consider doing tonight as we do this even today and talk about it today. And what I would like to do, um, first and foremost, is every week, like I said, I've kind of given a short answer and then expanded it. Well, today's short answer is actually going to come from what's called the Baptist Faith and Message. Now, the Baptist Faith and Message is the Southern Baptist's uh, system uh, or, or doctrine, beliefs, all their, their whole, everything they've got. And some of you are like, well, why are we reading from the Southern Baptist's Baptist faith and message. Well, the reason why is because we are actually Southern Baptists. I know some of you are like, what? For real? Um, yeah, we are. And you're like, I've been to Southern Baptist churches, though. Yeah, I know. And, and so we'll, we'll talk about that another time. And, uh, but, you know, some people say, well, why isn't Baptist in the name? I thought you guys were non-denominational. Well, that, that's not it. We are fully denominational. We give to a thing called the cooperative program, which is money that goes to a state level and then goes up to the national level and then spread back out to the states. It's kind of a weird system, but that, that's what we do. And we do it to support church plants. We do it to support church conventions and we all, or state conventions. We do it to support international missionaries. And, and that's part of what we do and why we do it. We're a part of that convention. And some people say, well, well I, I thought you guys were non-denominational and, and that's really what I want to be a part of. I want to be a non-denominational and this is your last Sunday you're going to be here. But um, the, the thing you have to think about is this. The difference between a non-denominational and a Southern Baptist is not much. Pretty much the fact that we have a cooperative program and they don't. 
they might have a better website than us and a better coffee bar. That, that's really what it boils down to in a, in a, uh, in a non-denominational, that, that type of thing. They have a really cool name like Hebrews or, you know, Holy Grounds. You know, that kind of thing. That, that's a steal from Tim Hawkins. But, but, the, but as, you, as you look at that, that is really the difference. There's not a lot to it other than the fact that we support a greater thing who leaves us to be autonomous, which means on our own. We're not directed by them, but we do hold to the same beliefs that they do. And this is what they believe about baptism. This comes right from the Baptist faith, the message of 2000. It says, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of, life, uh, uh, newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Now, some of you went, thanks for that simple answer. That doesn't sound so simple. What we're going to do is we're going to kind of break that apart. We're going to take a look at what baptism is. I'm going to give you a little bit more simple answer, maybe even a little bit too simple to what baptism is. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. Baptism is simply an outward expression of an inward change. And like I said, I think that might be a little bit too simple, so let's dive in just a little bit more. And as we do, I want to be honest with you. Uh, I take a long time preparing for, for weekends and stuff like that, and this week was, was a bit crazy. This week was a lot crazy, actually. Um, from, from, uh, the, from Memorial Day parade to uh, Memorial Day afternoon, uh, got an email from, uh, from the Baptist Convention, actually, that that one of our camp directors uh, at Inlow Camp was uh, killed in an accident at the camp. So that was the first thing that went, whoa, and had all kinds of stuff. And then just a few hours later, uh, got the call from the police department that we needed to, to go and, and, uh, and be a part of, of, of helping officers. And, and we're there till 1.45 in the morning. And I know the officers worked all night. And just that was the start of the week. And I, I almost feel bad that I didn't put the time and effort that I normally do into this. So I do truly want to pray right now that it is not my words that I bumble over, that it is God's words that come through me about baptism, because that's how important I really truly believe baptism is. So let's pray together. God, as we come before you, we know that uh, you have a plan for everything, and you have a schedule for everything, and, and you you've laid it all out there in front of us. And sometimes we have our own ways and own things that we think about, and, and we get distracted, and we get so so backwards in our thinking. We're come into church, we're thinking about what we're going to do after. The grocery list that we have to get done before Monday starts and all the hecticness starts again. You know, all of the things that are there, gosh, I asked you just to throw those out. To open our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us today about baptism and about the importance that baptism holds in our lives as followers of you. God, we pray this today in your name. Amen. Like I said, baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of people that don't believe that baptism matters. And I want to ask this question. Why does it matter? Why does baptism matter? And I wrote this down. Baptism matters because it is the necessary result of a genuine saving faith. It is the necessary result of a genuine saving faith. Now, some of you may go, well, what exactly do you mean by that? Let me kind of take some time to expand on that. We live in a day and age where about one-third of Americans claim Christianity. About one-third of Americans claim Christianity. They claim they've been born again. But if we look out there, we'll see that that one-third, not very many of them actually live a different life that's different than the two-thirds. 
What sets them apart? They're professing Christians that may have invited Jesus into their heart or may have sat down and, and had an evangelistic response to a, and met with a counselor at the end of the aisle and they prayed to receive Jesus into their heart. But they, that counselor, they said, you know, you've been assured of eternal salvation because you came and walked that aisle. I have a question for you in that. And this is a question that could cause a little bit of discussion. It could cause a little bit of uh, not happy with me kind of thing. Are they? Are they truly saved because they prayed a prayer? Are they truly that way? And my answer to that is, is maybe, but maybe not. Maybe, but maybe not. Because I believe the true issue that takes place is, is has God changed their heart? Has God working on them and working on their life? Can they see their life change through the power of the Holy Spirit? Is there a genuine spiritual change that took place? An old life that is now gone and a new life that has now become. Because I don't believe that that prayer always is it. Because that prayer, I can even tell you when I was in junior high and I went to summer camp and I was exhausted by Thursday and I think that's what they do it purposely for. But on Thursday, they, they get you there and they have you in front of it all and they say, who doesn't want to go to hell? And I'm like, me, because that sounds like a terrible place to go. Give me the other option. And that's like, all right, you're saved. No, that's head knowledge. That's head knowledge. That does not show all the things that have taken place that God has come in and he's taken over. And as I, I've looked at it and I've studied it and I've seen where I was and where I've been, obviously God is working on me and he has changed me and he has saved me from, from eternal damnation to be separated from him. But was it because of a prayer or because he came into my life and became the Lord of my life? And you know what? I've had struggles and I've had setbacks and there's gonna be that along the way, but there's also gonna be an overall progress that shows change. A real faith that shows change. A real genuine saving faith. Now, I also am not saying that if you are saved that you can lose your salvation. That I do not believe. I believe once saved, always saved. I've always believed that. But it's that once saved that matters. Were they ever saved? Because we can have a head knowledge that never transforms into an actual heart knowledge. Charles Spurgeon actually says an ounce of heart knowledge weighs a whole lot more than a ton of head knowledge. Because we can have all the head knowledge, we can know everything we possibly can about Jesus, but never actually put it into practice, never actually show it. As a matter of fact, Charles Spurgeon also says this, but if you have a faith which never touches your heart, a faith which never causes you to rejoice or mourn, a faith which neither makes you hate sin nor love the Lord Jesus, I charge you to shake off your faith as Paul shook off the viper from his hand, for it is a deadly faith. Only the living faith which works upon the heart and influences the desires and the affections can be a faith of God's elect. See, we are saved by grace through faith alone. But that saving faith is not alone. It requires a life of obedience. It is a natural result of a life of obedience to Christ. If he is going to be your Lord and you're not going to be the Lord, that means you're going to follow him and not you. That should be something that is working in you. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. One that's used very often. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, which means there's nothing that we can do to earn it, including baptism, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So we have been saved to do those natural transitions to where we are going to follow him and, and, and do the good works that he has laid out for us ahead of time. 1 John 2, 3 says, By this we will know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Any one of his important commandments are there for us to follow if we confess Christ. And as we look at that and we see this, the saving faith is, is an act of obedience that follows One of those things is baptism. One of those things is baptism. See, as I was talking about that one-third of the population that that claims Christianity, there's a high number of people that truly believe they don't need to be baptized. And I disagree with that because I believe that baptism matters. I believe it matters very much. And that's the reason why we go to have a big pool party and a big celebration because I believe it matters that much in people's lives for them to hold on to, for them to remember, for other people to hold them accountable. And I also believe it's important because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, in verse 18. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you agree with me that it's impossible to obey the great commission that, that Jesus has given us and neglect baptism? I, I can't see any other way around it. I believe it's an important part of the final command that Jesus gave to his disciples. The funny thing is, the crazy thing is, is that Jesus didn't talk about baptism that much while he was doing his earthly ministry, but he sure focused on on the end. Why is that? Why did he do that? Why did he want to do that? I think it's because he wanted to convince us that the fact that baptism is so important. And I want to see more as how the disciples and the apostles responded. If you look at the book of Acts throughout, you'll see people getting baptized. Now, some people, some people may say, well, you need baptism to get saved. And they actually use one of the first verses that talks about baptism in the book of Acts. It's actually found in chapter 2, verse 38. And this is what it says. Peter's just got done preaching this giant sermon, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord as their personal Savior. And as they do, they have a question. And that question is, is, now what? What should we do? And this is what Peter's response is. He said to them, repent and be baptized. And a lot of people stop right there and say, well, it says you have to do both. You have to repent and be baptized. Let's read the rest of the verse. It says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people ask questions on that, and they'll take that and they'll tear that apart, and they'll say, well, what exactly does that mean? They say, Baptism obviously is necessary for salvation because Peter says it right there. But that's not how we do it. We don't take one verse and say, this is it. We take one verse and we compare it to other verses that the Bible has talked about. We've already read one. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of your works. Nothing that you could do, including baptism. So we have to eliminate that. And then we can take a look at that verse and see that the word in there that is very important for us to look at is the word for. The word for. See, it says, we assume for is, is in one way as that it is in order to. And when we say for, we say in order to, but instead we need to look at it this way. If I went and I said, man, I've got a really ha- bad headache, and somebody says, well, you need to take two leave for that headache. Well, it's not to get a headache. It's in response to the headache. And that's where we have to see this word for in this verse. That when Peter says for, 
the forgiveness of your sins, it's in response to, not in order to. And so as we look at that, we see that it's very important that, that we don't take that verse out of context. But it is important that we do get baptized. As a matter of fact, we can kind of build on from that Acts chapter 3, the next chapter over. Uh, Peter says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Never mentions baptism, but he does mention something called repentance. And that repentance is being forgiven through faith. And it happens apart from baptism, but baptism is still something we should do. And here's the the point that I'm trying to make, that while it's not necessary for salvation, I believe it is a necessary result of salvation. Because as we look at the the book of Acts, we see it's in close connection with the minds of the apostles, that that is the next step. When he says, repent and be baptized, they didn't ask any other questions. All they asked was a question is, what should we do? We'll repent and be baptized. Well, hang on just a second. What if I don't want to? What if I'm shy? What if the, none of those questions came out. There was no theological debate where everybody got together and said, all right, let me huddle up. Let's just talk here for a second. What Peter said, it sounds good and all, but maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should do this. Maybe it only deserves this, or maybe it has to be both. They never said that. They just did it. They were commanded to do it, and that's what they did. Baptism is an outward act that demonstrates that inward faith, and that's what Peter's saying. When you repent, be baptized. Show that repentance. Show the people around. And while it was laid out, you know, right there what Jesus said and what the apostles were doing, I want to be clear with some of the misunderstandings that really do come, and I've already mentioned some of them, but this is the first one. Baptism is separate from a saving faith. Baptism is separate. It's not necessary for salvation, but it's a necessary result of salvation. In baptism, a person confesses his or her faith to the world. They confess it to those who are right there, but that's not the saving faith. See, saving faith is your personal response to Christ and his sacrifice for your sins. That's our response. Paul actually summarizes the gospel message in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised. And he even gives his own personal testimony in 1 Timothy 1, in verses 15 and 16. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, of I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the worst, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. See, this is a must that we have to realize. We have to grasp this. Christ didn't die to give us a happier life. Christ didn't die to give us better self-esteem. He didn't die to make our marriages better or our careers better. He died because we are sinners. That is why he died. And when we add anything to that, it takes away from his death. It takes away from his burial. It takes away from his resurrection. If we say, well, Jesus died, but I also have to, that makes Jesus' death not as important as we think it is right now. That takes away from it. So if we add to it, that's a real problem. See, the Bible is very clear that our sins have alienated us from God. They have separated us from Him. If we die in our sins, we will spend eternity without Him. We will spend eternity separated from Him, paying for the penalty of our sins. But this thing we call the Gospels, which means good news, the good news is is that Jesus died for us so that we could live with Him. 
and live for him and have an eternal relationship with his father. Jesus came as the eternal son of God. He came to earth to bear the punishment for our sins. He lived a sinless life that he didn't have to atone for so he could atone for the sins that I do make. He came to be the pure, spotless lamb. Being fully human, his death could atone for those human sins. And being fully God, it gave it infinite worth. Infinite worth. As Paul puts it here in 2 Corinthians 5, for our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, it's nothing that we did, and we have a tendency to add to it, and we forget of what Christ truly has done. We forget. We get twisted up. We get thinking about other things. Does that mean that all people are saved when it says that he died so that we could become the righteousness of God? No, because if we look once again to another verse, Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The ones who have the genuine saving faith are those who have repented and believed truly that Jesus Christ is their Lord. It's crucial to understand that saving faith is not just mentally agreeing with the facts. Because like I said, it's really just, I don't really like the way the hell sounds, so I'm going to choose heaven. That's not the way it works. It's about giving our life and repenting of who we are and realizing who God is and all of that, that we can trust him with our eternal destiny, that we can trust him with, with everything, that we can put our faith completely and totally in him. See, I guess the best way it would be is this. It would be like having all the faith in the world that a plane can fly that the pilot on it knows what he's doing, but you don't actually demonstrate that faith until you get on the plane and let the pilot do his job. That's the reality in it all. So I have a question for you. Have you gotten on board with Jesus Christ as your only hope for heaven? Have you put your faith in him in that way, or are you just saying, he sounds like a really good fire insurance plan? I've always loved the fact that we meet in an insurance building because it just kind of ties into the fact that, 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 you know, the people just get this idea, I want to put, you know, home, health, all that, fire on this side. That's what I want to put, but I don't know if that's going to work real well. But, you know, as, as we look at that, we, we think to ourselves, well, Jesus will keep me from that. But it's not just about that. It's about trusting in him and not in our good works. It's about putting everything in him and understanding that God's judgment is clear when his sin, or sorry, when his blood has washed our sin away. See, baptism is the outward confession of that inward reality of a saving faith. It's when we come to realize that. Uh, It's not what holds it, but it sure does show the rest of the world what it is. I I take, for instance, my wedding ring. My wedding ring right here does not mean that I am married. Because I could take this off and still be married. And I can wear a ring all day long and still not be married. You know what marriage is? Marriage is the commitment that I have made to my wife that tells the rest of the world that I am no longer available. And it's that commitment that is there. And as I wear this ring, that is what shows people. They assume that I am married because I am wearing that ring. And it's the same type of mentality with baptism. While baptism doesn't save you, it tells the rest of the world that you are no longer available, that you are committed to the bridegroom. You are committed to Jesus Christ. And that is what baptism is all about. So the first thing is baptism is separate from a saving faith. But that leads us to the second one, is that baptism is a necessary result of a saving faith. It's what we do as a result of being saved because we want to be obedient to Christ. And you know, I put a little thing in my note here. That's where the difference is between baptizing adults and baptizing babies. 
You know, because when I was a kid, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and I was baptized as a baby. And as I was baptized as a baby, you know what choice I had in that matter? None. I have never met a little baby that says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, let's baptize him. All right. That, you know, so, so we, have to, we have to be careful with baptizing the babies. I understand the significance of it. That's why we do child dedications as we dedicate our children to the Lord to say the parents and the church are going to walk together to raise this child in a way that they will eventually make the decisions on their own to follow Christ. That is what it's about. But baptism in itself is a result of saving faith. When somebody is saved, they understand it. They understand they need to tell the world, and they act in obedience. See, James 2.26 says, faith without works is dead. A true faith results in obedience. If someone claims to have believed in Christ, but there's no change in them, there's no change in their heart, there's no change in anything, they truly need to reevaluate where their heart is and where their relationship is with Jesus. They truly do. And I have a feeling that every single one of us at some point in time in our life have had that reevaluation thought where we sat with God and we said, God, I trust you as my Savior, but I am walking the wrong way because if you are walking towards sin, it means you're walking away from God. But if you're walking towards God, it means you're walking away from sin because they are separate. They are not the same. You can't be walking in the same direction. Baptism is a result, has obedience, but baptism is also a matter of obedience to Christ. See, Jesus himself submitted to baptism in obedience to his Father. He was obedient, and in doing so, he identified himself with the rest of us. He identified himself with his followers. He set the example of obedience in baptism. And we see in the Great Commission that he commanded that those who follow him be baptized and go and baptize. I don't think we could neglect baptism and still be considered disciples. And you say, well, hang on. What about that person that is really, really shy? They just don't really want to get up in front of people, and they don't want to talk in front of people, and they, they, they're afraid of what people might think or afraid of what people might say or, or any of those kind of things like that. Let me just ask you this. How many weddings have you ever gone to where the bride or the groom is a pretty shy person? They say, we're really glad we invited all of you here, but we're going to go do this in a separate room, and we're going to, we're going to say our vows, and then we're going to come out, and we'll eat with you, but we're going to sit at our table all by ourselves. I'm going to, I'm going to tell everybody how much I love my wife. And that's the point of a wedding. And for people to hold me accountable that, well, you know what a baptism is? It's about saying how much I love Jesus Christ and for people to hold me accountable to that. And that is the reason why it's not okay to be that. If you love Christ because he saved your soul, then you're going to want to let everybody know it. You're going to be able to put that shyness aside. You're going to be able to step out in that way. Because you know what? Your baptism preaches a sermon that I could never preach. Because there's people that know you better than I know you, and they know what a fool you've been, and they know how messed up you've been, and yet Jesus still came and cleansed you of your sins, and you taking that public stand to say, I am now identified with Christ. I am now a follower. I am now a new person. My old is gone. The new has come. I've been buried and raised again. That changes everything. I can tell you there are a lot of people that I knew in high school that would never believe that I'm a pastor right now. And I have a feeling there's a lot of people that you probably knew that would be like, you're in church on what day? You know, and you didn't do anything wrong? You know, and so, so there's, there's, a, there's a real 
sense of the preaching that takes place when we stand up to say, yes, I've been baptized because I've been identified with Christ. And that is truly why I believe that baptism really matters. Baptism matters in your relationship with God. When you say, God, I'm willing to forsake all for you to be your follower. See, here in our country, when we do it, we're going to be doing it at a public pool and there's not going to be any protesters outside. Nobody's going to be taking pot shots at you with a sniper rifle. You're going to be just fine. It's going to be a great chance. But you know what? In other countries, when they accept Christ as their personal Savior, that's one thing when they say it with their mouth. But when they are baptized, it is a symbol of identity with Christ that when they are buried and they're a follower of His, they now have been cut off from their family. And that's the good part. Because their lives are on the line. They are marked for death. When the Christians that we see in the book of Acts were following, I'm not sure if, if you guys grasp this or not, but being a Christ follower at the time, right after his death, was not a popular thing. As a matter of fact, they were going and beating and killing those, and yet they were still stepping forward to say, I want to identify myself with Christ. Baptism matters in our relationship to God. Second is it matters to the church. I'm not sure how many of you guys have been in a church for a short time and how many of you guys have been in a long time. But one of the things I've noticed is people that have been in church a long time tend to forget where they came from. They tend to forget what power Jesus Christ really has. We just get routine about doing things. Why we go to church, why we do communion. You know, all those things become routine. We forget the power that Jesus Christ really has. I'll never forget when we were getting ready for my uh, sister-in-law and brother-in-law's uh, wedding we were standing in their church, and I was kind of leaning on their, on their baptismal, kind of like this as we were talking. I looked down, and there was algae all over the top of their baptismal. I said, when was the last time you guys baptized anybody? And uh, he's like, well, I've been here for three years, and we haven't baptized anybody in the time we've been here. And I went, how? How's that? That is, you're telling the rest of the church that look at the power of God to take somebody from what they were to what they are. It should matter to the church to see baptism. It should matter, even if you're not getting baptized, to come and be a part of the celebration tonight. Whether you swim or not, it's supposed to be like 90 degrees. It's going to be awesome. Get in the pool. The pool's heated at 84, so even if it's not 90 degrees, it's still going to be great. So make sure you're a part of it. Make sure you're in that. Make sure you are there with us and celebrating with us in it all because baptism matters to the church. It also matters to those outside the church. Because like I said, you are showing your total identity now in Christ. That you have been dead to yourself and you are now following in Him. And we are in union with Christ. And I'll be honest with you. The church has, I think, missed the mark for a long time. You might notice that we don't do something here very often. We don't do something uh, called an altar call. I don't have people come forward and, and uh, have counselors waiting on the side for you to receive Jesus. Um, I don't do a prayer at the end and say, everybody raise your hand who prayed that prayer. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and leave it. I don't do that. And part of the reason why I don't do that is to have people ask Jesus to come into their hearts because I, I believe that, that while not wrong, it's not the greatest way to show repentance. Because that's the way I got saved. And maybe that's the way that you got saved. But let me ask you, when was it that you saw the repentance come play, take place? When was, it? was it when you walked the aisle or was it when you got involved it, with a, somebody who was discipling you, with somebody who was walking you through it and helping you understand who Jesus was and what he had done and what you were and what you are now? 
But there's so much more to it than that. I see that repentance really is the answer. Because even as I look at, the, at those first converts that Peter preached to, the first question was, was what should we do? What should we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Recognize your sin, the fact that you're messed up human being and you've turned from that sin. And now, by the power of Christ, you are a follower of his. And because of that, it results in being baptized, every one of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Being baptized to show the recognition that you understand what Christ did for you. And it shows everybody else. You know, it's, it's an interesting experience, and it, it's a humbling experience to understand that you can't do it on your own. I talked about it last week. You know, pride's a thing that I've always dealt with, but pride is one of those things that kind of kicks you in the gut. When you realize you can't do it yourself, your pride gets hurt bad. It's a humbling experience. But we live in, in a me generation. Do you know that the spelling bee was this week and the two words that uh, ended up having the people tie I'd never heard of ever? And I, I was listening to it going, wow, I didn't even know those were in the English language. Do you know that there are 450,000 words in the English language? 80% of our conversations revolve around only 400. 80% of our conversations revolve around 400 of the 450,000 words that are out there, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. And of those words, if you eliminate the word like when you're talking to a teenager, um, of those words, of those words, four of them are the most used. You know what they are? I, me, my, mine. We live in a me generation. And when we are brought to a place where it's not about us, when we come to baptism, we realize it's not about us and what we do or how we do it, but instead what Christ has done and, and what he's still doing in us, it changes everything. It changes everything. And we have that idea of Christianity is, is a humbling experience. It's realizing we can't do it. It's a commitment. It's identification. And isn't that exactly what baptism is? A humbling experience, realizing that we can't do it, professing that to be committed and identified in Him. There's two more questions as I wrap up that, that I, I want you to, to kind of grasp. That's the how should I get baptized and should I get baptized again? Because as I look at it, I see how should I get baptized. There's, there's lots of different things that are out there. There's the sprinkling, there's the pouring, and there's the immersion. And we do immersion, which is where you go underneath the water and you come back up. And the reason why we do that is honestly because I believe that's what the book of Acts talks about. And also, I think it's the greatest symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. And it shows that we have been buried again with Christ. A separation to the old way of life and attaching and committing to a new way of life. A new life altogether. And then the question of again, because I get this a lot. Well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, if that's your reasoning, please throw that out. Because you need to be baptized as an adult. Because like I said, babies don't make that decision. Maybe you were baptized as an eight-year-old who every other eight-year-old in your Sunday school class was doing it. It sounded really cool and they were going to give you a piece of candy afterwards. And that is awesome. However, not the decision that you needed to make based on the fact that Jesus Christ saved you. Maybe you made it when you were a teenager and you were fully following and you kind of fell away during your college years, fell away a little bit longer and came back to him, you're saying, well, should I be baptized again? I say, no, you don't have to be. However, if you want to be and you want to build that memorial and you want to have people hold you accountable and you want to, because we look throughout the entire Old Testament, every time something great happened, 
Didn't they build a memorial? Didn't they build some pile of rocks or some sort of deal that they could remember the change that took place and what God had done for them? I think baptism can serve as a great memorial, a great reminder of what God has done for you. So my challenge to you today is this. If you've not been baptized and you're holding out saying, you know, baptism doesn't really matter, it doesn't save me anyway, you're right on one, it doesn't save you, but you're wrong on the other because it really does matter. And I want to challenge you to be a part of our baptism tonight. Whether or not you're in the water and being baptized or just being there to celebrate those who are, I want to challenge you to be there tonight and be a part of what we're doing and be a part of all of this because baptism really does matter. If you've never been baptized, I'm going to give an altar call, all right? I'm going to have that opportunity for you to come, and I'm going to sit right here in this chair. And if you want to be baptized, let's talk about it. If I'm swarmed by people, because I hope that's the case. I hope everybody's like, yeah, that, let's do it. God spoke to me. Let's, let's make this happen. If I am, you know, find somebody. Talk to somebody. Wait, because we want to get you involved in it all. We want to get you. Rob's right back over here. I know he would. James, well, he'll, he'll talk with you. you know, um, we have guys all over that would be happy to talk to you about the importance of baptism. Maybe Maybe you're looking at baptism and saying, well, I'm not ready to get baptized yet, but that whole idea of repentance and turning from my sins, that sounds like a good plan. Good. That's God speaking to you, saying he wants to be a part of your life, not just a part of your life, he wants to be your life. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today too, which will then lead to baptism. I'm going to pray, and like I said, I'm going to sit down here, and as the band sings the, the song, which actually is an amazing song, Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. This, those words in themselves are, are a, a prayer that is so hard for us to hold on to because sometimes we say, well, Jesus paid it all and some to him I owe. No, it's all. It's about giving it all. So as you're challenged by that, even by the words of that, I would pray that, that, uh, that God's working in your heart, in your mind with the decision you need to make today. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you again for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for even the opportunity to be able to serve you, to be able to identify with you, be able to walk through uh, this baptism and the, the meaning that it has behind it and the significance that it has behind it and the representation of what it has behind it as we tell the world that we are yours, that we have died to ourself and that we are now followers of yours because your son Jesus Christ came to die for us so that we could live with you and live for you. God, I know this isn't the easiest one to, to talk about. I know that there are people that are shy saying, well, I don't really want everybody else to know. But instead, God, maybe we have the mindset that everybody's going to celebrate the fact that life change is taking place because that's what we're all about, coming just as we are and being changed so we can go change the world. God, we pray right now that you are moving. Pray in your name.